2: That's borough.com slash ACAST. Borough.com slash ACAST.
3: Hello. Welcome to Jewel Says. I'm Jules, Julie. We have such an interesting neighborhood. I know Toronto's a big city, but really it's more like a collection of small towns with an urban core. I feel like London is kind of that way too. Catherine used to live in a neighbourhood called Crouch End and it felt like its own little town within the city of London. My area feels like that to me. We have a lot of green space for a city this size too. Huge, beautiful parks, playgrounds, so many trees. The city is planning to plant a tree on our front lawn this fall. You can't legally chop down a tree without a permit either. All the trees are beautiful. We have quite a few interesting characters, too. There's one man in particular in this neighborhood. I would say he's elderly, but maybe he's only about 50 and just lived a hard life. I've seen casting requests, particularly on student productions. I sometimes do student productions. And the casting will say, elderly woman. Age 45 to 55. And I just think that's hilarious. I guess when you're 20, that is elderly to you. But anyway, this guy, he could have just lived a hard life, but he walks up and down the main street in our area wearing a black jacket and kind of like a captain's cap, which must be ridiculously warm in the heat. He wears it even on a hot day. He has white hair and sometimes a beard. I don't think he grooms regularly. And this guy doesn't just ask for money. He specifies an amount and a reason. One day outside the subway station, he said, can you give me $50 to top up my Presto card? And I'm like, seriously, dude? Presto is the Toronto Transit card. I just have a feeling that he doesn't have a Presto card and doesn't really have very many places to go. I gave him $5 and went into the bank. And as soon as I came out, he asked me again, can you give me $50 to top up my Presto card? No, I said, I just gave you $5, but I need 50 I gave you 5 Ask someone else and eventually you'll have 50 One other day, he was hanging around the bank and he asked for $80 so they wouldn't cut off his cable. I said, you have cable? Must be nice. I don't have cable. Was it cruel of me to say that? I mean, I keep $5 bills in my pocket so I can give them to people as I pass by and I handed him one. And he said to me, but I need 80 or they're going to cut off my cable. And I'm like, sorry, I need my money too. I don't have $80 to give you. <sighs> the other day, Abe and I were walking to the fruit store. He had to go to the barber shop to get a haircut. And the dude was sitting on a bench in front of one of the old mixed-use commercial residential buildings. We have a lot of those buildings in our neighborhood with a store or a little restaurant or a business on the ground floor. And then apartments on the upper floors. They're old, but I like them. I, I think they give character to the neighborhood. Anyway, it was garbage day, and the bins were across from him on the curb. Beside the bins was an old, old television set, maybe one of those 27-inch, big old television sets. Want to buy a TV? he asked as we passed. No thank you, Abe respectfully responded. The TV had clearly been put out with the garbage for pickup, and there he was trying to sell it. We kind of laughed about it, and I said to Abe, I wonder how much he wants for that TV we should have asked. So we agreed that we would ask him on our way back. I left Abe at the barber shop and carried on to the fruit store, and on my way back, he wasn't there. However, when Abe returned home, he was able to report that he asked the guy how much he wanted for the TV. Poor guy. His face lit up, hopefully, Fifty to a hundred? He asked hopefully. And Abe declined. No thank you. But when he told me the story, when he said fifty to a hundred, I thought he had said fifteen hundred. What? He actually thought he could sell a TV put out in the garbage for fifteen hundred dollars. No no, fifty to a hundred. We kind of felt a bit badly about getting his hopes up though, so even though the TV had just been put out for collection, it wasn't even his. Maybe we should have just given him the 50 bucks. Anyway, on other news, and I uh, I don't talk about the news too much, but Canadians have been inundated with news of Bell Media's sudden firing of Lisa Laflamme after 35 years of service and with almost two years remaining on her contract. She was the chief anchor and senior editor of CTV's National News with consistently exceptional ratings. She's the winner of multiple awards. Gorgeous, because obviously you can't put a woman on screen if she's not gorgeous. So the buzz is that she was unceremoniously fired because she's a 58-year-old woman who let her gray hair grow out. She's not hot enough for the Canadian public anymore. We don't know for sure, but you know, this does certainly seem plausible. Shortly after Michael Melling, okay, I'm fighting the urge to comment on his appearance because it's not good, but he's not an on air personality. Not that men on air need to look good or young to be a news anchor. Or have hair, or dye their hair, or even comb it or style it. You know I'm right, but I'm not going to say it. Not long after Melling became head of CTV News, apparently he questioned who approved the decision to let Lisa's hair go gray. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the buzz is that she was let go because she's an older woman. But we don't know for sure why she was let go. Because Bell Media has so far refused to share any actual reason other than the cryptic, broad-ranging, it was a business decision, which, of course, means nothing. They claim that the media and the public have been sharing false narratives, but they're withholding whatever the truth is. It's a business decision is kind of like saying, oh, we can't hire you for this lineup because we already have one woman and it's already female heavy. You could just say that was a business decision. Who knows what that means? They won't say what it means. But Lisa posted her own statement on her terms. And I will share the link on my Facebook page. It's in globalnews.ca in case you want to look at that or haven't seen it. But, you know, she's a beloved public personality. I think you need to just say what your reason was and deal with the consequences if it was a ridiculous reason because right now we're assuming the worst did she sexually assault or harass anyone no whiff of that kind of scandal although if she had perhaps she would have been given the courtesy of a paid leave of absence while they pretended to investigate the allegations Hmm, what else could it be did she bully people yell at people I don't know. I've seen a lot of fist-pounding and yelling and swearing in my work life, and I've yet to see any of those guys let go for any of it. Oh, 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 I know. She advocated for the well-being of people. How dare she? Who does she think she is? One staff member allegedly recalled an argument she had with Melling when a crew was sent to Ukraine to report on the war. Apparently... Allegedly, she insisted that hotel rooms be booked in advance in Krakow, Poland, to ensure they had a safe place to stay if necessary. She did eventually win that argument, which, come on, lives were at stake. I get that executives are accountable for the budget. I get it. It was no doubt part of the key performance indicators on which at least part of his discretionary compensation is based. Every expenditure is a business decision. You're in business to make a profit. Okay. And when it comes to things like safety, the decision is often based on a risk-benefit analysis. Not unlike my partner risk analysis spreadsheet. Save money, risk lives. But how likely are they to really die? The higher the risk, the lower the likelihood needs to be to spend the money. This one should have been a no-brainer in my opinion. I can't believe there was even an argument about it. Allegedly. Of course, there were other disagreements, which is common in any business. However, if the disagreements are respectful, that should never result in termination. Maybe they just decided her salary was too high. I don't know. Was she paid as much as the men in a similar position? More? We don't know. Did she get caught violently assaulting people? I'm sure you've heard of the viral video of those three Arkansas police officers kicking the shit out of someone under arrest. Were they fired? Hell no. Two were put on suspension and one on administrative leave, which tells me they're either still getting paid or at least they're likely to have an opportunity to return to their jobs. Just another recent example of many. I don't know. It just seems as though so many men managed to succeed for so long in spite of being unattractive, difficult, argumentative, and or sex-pesty. And I get that careers in the media are not like careers in other industries. I not only don't have to be beautiful, a woman risks not being taken seriously if she is beautiful or young. So you get the gender-age issue at both ends of the spectrum. But my first instinct is to feel the age argument, because I genuinely feel more and more invisible and irrelevant the older I get. Which seems weird, because when I was young, I wasn't taken seriously. And now that I'm taken seriously, a part of me feels invisible, I know that sounds irrational, but I feel it, even though I'm not an on-camera personality. And it doesn't help to see stories like this in the news. However your demographic is represented impacts, sometimes a bit, how you feel about yourself. I think this is why so many white men are all up in arms about the stories about men's violence They feel, well, that's my demographic, and I don't like to see them portrayed that way. Even if we acknowledge that it's only a few of them doing the heavy lifting on the violence for everyone else. We know there are lots of great men, and we love you for it. Dove Canada launched a social media campaign this week with hashtag keep the gray. And they turned their logo and profile pictures to grayscale, saying that women with gray hair are being edged out of the workplace, but that together, we can support women aging beautifully on their own terms. Plus, they donated $100,000 to Catalyst, which is a Canadian nonprofit that works to build inclusive workplaces for all women. So apparently I'm not the only one to feel this gender age issue. The other thing that annoys me is the constant targeted advertising I get for weight loss, saggy skin treatments, neck treatments, hair treatments, clothing tailored for mature women. What the fuck does that even mean? Meanwhile, the models wearing the clothes in these ads are tall, slender, very, very young, and very beautiful. It's bullshit. Yes, I know people have bigger problems, but ugh. Lisa's predecessor, Lloyd Robertson, was afforded the privilege of retiring at the tender age of 77. A graceful, dignified exit, which allowed room to celebrate Lisa's success. And one of the unfortunate side effects of Bell Media's mishandling of her exit is that it obscured the news and overshadowed and undermined the celebration of her replacement, which is an historic moment in its own right. Her replacement, Omar Sachadina, is a first-generation Canadian Muslim born to parents of Indian descent from Uganda, obviously an underrepresented demographic in Canadian media. Congratulations, Omar. It's a shame your success has been negatively overshadowed by this.
2: in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today.
3: When I was looking for a job in Toronto in 2007-08, I was acutely aware of my ticking time bomb. I needed to get a job before I was 50. Even at 48, I worried because I was cutting it so close. Obviously, in IT, we don't have to be beautiful, but youth is definitely valued in technology, as is the male gender. When I started in IT, I was one of very, very few women. I would go to a conference, and it would be 99% men. Though the vendor sales and marketing personnel were very often attractive young women, they definitely stood out. I remember once I went with a colleague, and in the morning, I was at the top of the escalator, and there was a sea of men at the bottom of the escalator, and I saw Bill, and I waved to Bill, and I called out to him, Bill, hi, how are you? Thanks again for last night. We had gone out for dinner or something like that, and it was like, The buzz stopped, and everybody just turned and looked at me and looked at Bill. Bill turned 50 shades of red. (laughs) It was a moment. But you know, I often wondered when I was looking for my job whether my gender and my age were the reasons I wasn't getting any interviews. I joked that I should change Julie to a male name, but I knew I'd be found out the minute I spoke or showed my face. One recruiter recommended that I delete the first 15 years of my work experience from my resume, which I did, and it made sense. After all, the mainframe and desktop work I had done was not specifically relevant to my current SAP expertise, and it aged me. Hiring managers are often concerned that older people are set in their ways and will have difficulty keeping pace with fast-changing technologies and new ways of solving problems. Yet young women can be penalized because they might have babies or take more time than the dads for family responsibilities. There isn't a huge window of opportunity in between. Boys and men are often assumed to possess superior technical aptitude, interest, and skill. Sure, some of it may be inherent, but also what you're exposed to growing up definitely influences that. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have the opportunity, just as men should have the opportunity for caregiving jobs and roles. Interpersonal or social skills have been historically undervalued in technology jobs, though that is actually changing. I've read a few studies that show for years employers' desire for good communication, leadership, and collaboration skills has been largely ignored by educators and economists, but hard skills alone just don't cut it anymore, apparently. You might be a master at writing code, but you still have to communicate with humans in a business environment to empathize with and and collaborate and understand the business challenges that you're there to solve, and to work with people through test cycles and modifications. Communication and collaboration are hugely important. I've always known that, and that actually has been one of my strengths historically, Communication is one of the challenges with outsourcing to offshore technical resources, too, if, if only because of the language barriers and time zone differences. Don't get me wrong. It sounds like I'm really complaining here, but I am grateful for the many opportunities I had in my 20s and 30s. I truly am. But there were so many times I felt dismissed, undervalued. Not having a university degree certainly didn't help either. It gave them an excuse, a very handy excuse, even though there were plenty of others who enjoyed success in my department without a degree. At some point in the late 80s, maybe might have been early 90s, the company I worked for implemented the Hay Job Evaluation System. Prior to that, I don't recall what my job level was. I was just so happy to have that job and to be doing that work. I didn't really pay much attention to how levels were measured. But anyway, the Hay system was implemented to make sure the jobs were fairly evaluated and compensated so that the company aligned with the Ontario pay equity legislation. Before that, the Canadian pay equity laws, which I think came into effect in the 70s, were complaint-based. If no one complained, companies were off the hook. Well, that changed in Ontario in 1987. The new law required companies to demonstrate compliance with equal pay legislation. Enter the HAY system. And I'm not an HR expert, so I'm kind of nutshelling this in my own words. But essentially, in order to comply, there were four factors required to evaluate pay grades. Skill, effort, responsibility, and working conditions. The HAY system apparently works by integrating those four factors to come up with pay scales. So equal pay for work of equal value, not just for the same jobs. At the time, I was doing desktop support, you know, installing and maintaining dumb terminals, printers, PCs, monitors, etc., all the peripherals. Plus, I was responsible for communication software support, which I've talked about before. Were you really responsible for it, though, Julie? Yes, yes, I was most certainly responsible for it. I was the only one, other than my previous boss, who even knew how to do the work, knew how to analyze the dumps. I would get phone calls after hours to resolve issues. I had to document and sell the business case to upgrade the failing aging hardware of the communications processor. And when I was with Carrie at Toronto Sick Children's Hospital, where she was being diagnosed with celiac disease, people from work frequently called the hospital to track me down to solve problems. We didn't have cell phones then. I was definitely fully unequivocally responsible for it. So you can imagine how I felt when I was told my job level on the HAY system was junior analyst. Fine, what is a junior analyst? I'll never forget reading this one sentence in the job summary. Performs tasks as assigned by senior systems analyst. Really, zero accountability, very little skill after all. Being assigned tasks is not self-directed at all. A senior person needs to be there to tell me what to do every day, right? Effort and working conditions? Well, if I'm just assigned tasks by a senior analyst, then they wouldn't be calling the hospital to track me down to solve issues now, would they? I wouldn't get calls in the middle of the night, weekends. I wouldn't have to get my children out of bed and pack them up to go into the computer room to deal with emergencies. I wouldn't be the one who had to create the business case for the DCP upgrade. A senior analyst would do that, you would think. My husband used to get so annoyed, he'd demand why they couldn't call some other girl. Surely if I could do this work, there must be a bevy of other girls who could do it too. Why did they have to call me? But the real kicker was this. Every job, based on its level, the mix of those four factors has a minimum, midpoint, and maximum salary range. Someone being hired into a job who has limited to no experience might expect to be paid the minimum salary for that job. Right? Makes sense. However, my pay was below the bottom of the pay range. Below the bottom. (sighs) So being the difficult bitch that I've always been, I had a little chat with my boss. "'Junior analyst? Seriously? So tell me, please, who is the senior analyst who assigns me my tasks?' "'Well, no one, but, you know,' he hemmed and hawed. "'You you don't have a university degree?' "'Oh, so I'm not qualified to do the job I'm doing?' "'I didn't say that.' "'Actually, you did. I'm doing the job with no help, and I back up the hardware guy.' Oh yeah, I forgot to mention that. I also covered for the hardware guy when he was away, handling issues with the multiplexers, modems, cabling, all that kind of stuff for the mainframe communication system. He didn't back me up, though, but I was his backup. I am 100% responsible for this job, but you're telling me that I'm not qualified to do the job I'm actually doing because I don't have a university degree? I guess I should find a job that I don't actually know how to do yet. It took me a while to train someone else and get another position, and admittedly, I still got the calls from her and others until the mainframe was finally decommissioned. But I eventually succeeded at landing a position as a programmer, a mapper programmer, which is a Unisys proprietary programming language. If I was going to be a junior, I figured I might as well find a job where I actually deserved to be a junior. Now, was I underrated because I was a woman, because I was blonde, or really because I didn't have a degree? It hadn't been the first time, and it wouldn't be the last. I get that the degree matters in certain situations, for certain jobs, and certainly if you don't have the work experience. I want my surgeon to have a medical degree. But a lot of other people I worked with didn't have a degree. The job postings always said degree, diploma, or equivalent. I applied for other jobs within the company too, not just the programming job that I ended up getting. I asked one manager if he would be willing to give me constructive feedback on what I could improve for next time. A man from purchasing had been hired for an IT position I had applied for. And he actually turned out to be great. That was a good decision. But you want to know what his response was? Well, you don't have gobs of education. Yeah, he said gobs. The go-to excuse. I had been taking additional training, night courses at the college— I had started on a degree part-time through a University of Waterloo correspondence program, but I just couldn't keep it up with the job and the children and my household responsibilities. Yes, I know people do it, but maybe they don't have to hide doing their homework. Maybe they have support with some of the childcare and the household stuff. I don't know. Maybe they're just better than I am, or smarter, or maybe I'm just lazy." Once, I applied for an entry-level position in the public relations department. I had an aptitude for the IT work, and I did it well, but I still wasn't sure that's what I wanted to do forever, and I kept feeling as though I was hitting a brick wall. One of the men who interviewed me asked about—he asked me some question about balancing multiple priorities or something like that, and I don't remember the exact question. And I I responded— with something about balancing work, being on call, children, domestic work. And do you know what this man said to me? He looked me up and down, sneered with contempt, and said, Everybody does that. Really? Do they? Because if he did all that, he would have been a pretty special exception back then. What a man. What a man. But onward to the next interview with the head of public relations, Jim. Jim was rotund. Jim's shirt buttons strained to contain his girth. Not a criticism, just a fact. Jim's rumpled suit had visible dandruff flakes adorning the shoulders. Were those food stains on Jim's tie? Focus, Julie, focus. Jim sat back, Hands folded across his stomach as he began the interview with his dress code lecture. Now, I wear a suit every day. I happen to be wearing a lovely navy pinstripe pencil skirt and jacket. I still have it. Even when I had to haul equipment around, I wore skirts, dresses, heels. Even when I had to climb ladders, run cables, crawl under desks, my face was always made up. I kept lipstick in my toolkit. I even did my hair back then, which I've long since given up on my hair. These days I just put it in a clip. I will expect the successful candidate to dress professionally. I kept a straight face and tried very hard not to notice the hairs sticking out of the gaps between the buttons on his shirt. I don't actually recall anything else about that interview. Needless to say, I did not get the job. Years later, at a work event for one of my clients, one of the men from another department said, You're in IT? I thought you were one of the marketing girls. Thanks, I replied. I knew what he meant. The marketing girls smiled, dressed well. They looked as though they could have worked in media. I'm doing okay now. After my last contract, mid-pandemic, I held out until I got my rate. Sometimes you have to stand up and demand some respect. And I will never know for sure whether gender or age held me back for so long, just as we may never know for sure whether they're the reason women like Lisa are let go. I ended up doing okay in the end, and I know a lot of people now have a hard time even with a university degree. So overall, I am fully aware of how privileged and lucky I have been. I have to say, though, when I saw a fairly average-looking woman on TV at the dentist's office today, it felt nice to see a regular-looking woman telling me the news for a change. We'll get there someday. Thank you for listening. I think listeners would be interested in hearing some of your work stories. If you have anything you'd like to share or ask me, Email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. Have a lovely week.